Well, the United States and President Joe Biden have formally announced that they are ending the country's longest war and pulling out U.S. troops from Afghanistan beginning the 1st of May. Uh, Through this decision, it does push back the previously negotiated uh, May 1st deadline for U.S. troop withdrawal that Trump committed to the Taliban. There are, though, still concerns mounting over the the fate of the Afghan government as well as the people there. And to discuss that in more detail and what a post-U.S. Afghanistan looks like, we are pleased to be joined by Deputy Washington Director at Human Rights Watch, Andrea Prasau, on the line. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. In terms of what we've been reading in the headlines, and if you have any further insights, could you tell us what we do know so far about this Afghan withdrawal plan? Sure. Well, what we've heard is that President Biden is using the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, which will be in a few months, as the end date by which all U.S. troops, other than those guarding the U.S. embassy, um, would would withdraw from Afghanistan. But, you know, as you said in, in the outset, is the U.S. ending its longest war? What we don't know is whether the U.S. will actually be ending its military involvement in Afghanistan. We know the plan is to pull out the troops. We don't know what the future of U.S. engagement in Afghanistan, particularly with respect to so-called counterterrorism strikes, might look like. The uh, issue of Afghanistan in terms of pullout, uh, it's been going through fits and starts uh, all the way back through the uh, Obama administration. Uh, Often, it seems like where uh, those of us old enough to remember the events of 9-11 and then the ensuing uh, invasion of Afghanistan uh, as a result, and then, of course, the ensuing um, invasion of Iraq, which is a separate matter. Uh, it's The events of Afghanistan have largely been overshadowed by other things, and including right now where we're all gra- grappling with the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, to catch our listeners up to date, how have things been in Afghanistan so far, the, 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 the uh, conditions on the ground, um, the Taliban and their dealings, and, and the, uh, I, I guess the plight of the Afghan government? Well, in the 20 years of U.S. involvement in Afghanistan, there have been significant improvements when it comes to um, Afghans' ability to enjoy basic human rights, particularly with respect to women and girls. But it has not all been rosy. First of all, civilians continue to be harmed by the armed conflict, by all parties to the conflict, Mm. by U.S. and other international forces, by the Taliban, by Afghan government forces. So civilian harm continues to be a huge issue that will only go away when the armed conflict ends. But human rights are not guaranteed in all areas of Afghanistan, and that includes areas under the current Afghan government control. So Human Rights Watch has documented over the last 20 years human rights violations throughout Afghanistan and will continue to do so if needed. But I think it's important to understand that there isn't sort of a a shining example of a perfect government on the one hand Mm. and then a group that is known for human rights abuses on the other. Unfortunately, when you look at some of the actors who are involved on the government side, these are people who have been accused of war crimes at times. So there are a lot of people, largely men, making decisions about what the future of Afghanistan will look like without involvement of Afghan civilians, particularly of women. Those who've um, kind of follow the history, know that this is a notorious place uh, for any um, success, especially with foreign intervention dating back from the uh, the British and then the, uh, the Soviet Union's invasion of Afghanistan, and obviously what we've been witnessing with this uh, recent U.S. Uh, war 
there. The um, post-U.S. pullout scenarios, and you mentioned that there's still some questions as to the level of the extent of involvement of the U.S. military in Afghanistan, even after uh, all the troops are pulled out. There does seem to be this kind of knee-jerk reaction. Well, this means and this weak central government that only controls Kabul, the Taliban is eventually going to just uh, take over the entire country and then we're just going to be back where we were before 2001. It's not as simplistic as that, is it? It's definitely not. Um, and I don't, I don't know that that's a guarantee. Um, you know, at Human Rights Watch, we don't, we don't focus on the structure of governments. What we yeah. focus on is that whoever is in power has an obligation under human rights law. And that's why we've done things like document human rights violations in Taliban-controlled areas. The Taliban actually do control a significant part of Afghanistan, and they are the governing body. And they run schools or don't allow schools to on where they are. They provide access to health care, uh, often limit media freedom, things mm-hmm. like that. So it's important to understand that Afghanistan always has been much more regional than I think a lot of people outside of Afghanistan uh, spend time really thinking about. It's not that it was once this really cohesive, centrally controlled government, but there are very serious concerns about what the situation will be like on the ground after the U.S. withdraws its troops. And that's why we've called on the U.S. and other countries to really focus on aid and supporting the Afghan people. Secretary Blinken, Secretary of State in the U.S. has already pledged $300 million to support <clears throat> aid and development in Afghanistan. And we really hope that other donor countries will do the same because Afghanistan needs an independent media. It needs a robust civil society to be supported by the international community. Those are the the features of a really robust democracy that will help withstand any uh, retrenchment of human rights. Could you tell us about then uh, where it stands with um, a couple of different issues here? Uh, First, what are some of the risks at play? You have mentioned about uh, the concerns and, and the need for uh, further investment into the country, even if the U.S. military uh, does uh, ultimately leave the country. What are some of the risks at stake for uh, the people of Afghanistan? And I guess even more specifically, uh, what it would do to some of the advancements that have been made for, for women's rights in the country? Well, it's pretty clear that Afghanistan cannot function without international donor support. So while that's unfortunate in terms of the long-term stability of the country, it means that other countries have a tremendous amount of leverage. And the Taliban understand that. They understand that one of the reasons that they probably should not try to get a full military win where they you know, just completely defeat the other side and take control mm. is that the international community is not going to support them. So whatever the government looks like in the future, it will need international support. And that means funding schools for women and girls, funding independent media, and pulling back those funds if that sort of access is denied. And that's what I think donor countries, including the U.S., need to be watching really closely and setting some clear benchmarks so that they know if these commitments that the future Afghanistan government should be making to them are really being met. Do we take the Taliban at their word? Um, again, as you say, they, they do control um, various pockets of the country. Uh, if they have turned a new leaf, and we know notoriously uh, what the conditions were like uh, when the Taliban controlled essentially the entire country, that uh, they will now allow women to be educated and work outside uh, the homes? I don't think it's a matter of taking them at their word. I think it's a matter of creating a structure where they have no choice, which is that mm-hmm. they don't get the donor funds they need unless those things happen. And so it's a simple matter of quid pro quo then for them is um, we, we, we don't have to believe you or trust you. It's just <laughs> you show us what you're doing and uh, you'll either get the donor funds or not. 
Well, I don't think it's simple. Unfortunately, nothing is simple when it comes to Afghanistan. And that's long been been the case now. And like I said, the Afghan government itself has not been consistent in terms of access uh, to education for women and girls. Torture and detention has been a persistent problem in, in Afghan government detention and so on. But I think if the international community is serious about actually supporting the Afghan people, they need to really take seriously the ways to do that and really supporting civil society, not supporting former warlords. And finally, we see in in some sense with foreign policy, some continuation from the previous Trump administration and the current Biden administration with things we see some strong departures, uh, including how to approach uh, the questions of Iran and their nuclear program. But with Afghanistan and, and how the Biden administration has been trying to transition, one of the changes has certainly been a tone on things like uh, refugees or immigrants. The 18,000 Afghans who work for the U.S. now, um, they, they've applied for special immigrant visas. The, the approval process apparently is still pending. What would happen if the troops leave and, and the uh, application process hasn't been completed? Are they in a state of limbo? This is something that the administration is aware of, and I've heard talk of whether it's the SIV program, the Special Immigrant Visa Program, or a new program, that there's a real awareness that those people need to be protected, that the U.S. owes them an obligation. And that also, as as Afghanistan transitions, there may be even more people who, because of their support for the U.S. or otherwise, um, are, are deserving of that sort of status. So I think it's not a given that it will happen, but I do think the Biden administration is aware that it's a, a real concern and they owe a responsibility to these people. Okay, uh, we will have to leave it there. Uh, Andrea Prasal, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. That was the Deputy Washington Director at Human Rights Watch, Andrea Prasal. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in the second hour after another check of traffic and weather.